1: welcome back folks we're speaking with dr joe cantor the state health officer for the state of louisiana Uh, this will be his uh, last interview with us in that role got a text here says um, best wishes for dr joe i feel like part of your show is not going to be there anymore love listening to you and him so much info would have never had because of you and dr joe cantor love this section of the show. We do, too. And then the next text says, well, why can't he continue to just call in and speak? <laughs> said, well, that's up to, <laughs> to the doc. <laughs> he will get a call from me. <laughs> that I can promise you periodically. Now, whether or not he answers the call is going to be another question. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, I hope to. I, I hope to be able to come back on from time to time and chat with you about what's going on. Maybe not, maybe not every week, but I certainly hope to be able to do that.
1: So. Absolutely. Absolutely. So let's put you to work here on this last show, Doc. um, You know, we uh, got this measles thing that's popping up all over the place here now. Um, Do we know where this all started?
2: You know, most of these cases originate with someone that travels internationally, um, gets exposed internationally, comes back and then finds a pocket of folks domestically that are not protected, not, not vaccinated or don't have antibodies against it. Um, you know, we get these every year, but I think what's different now is kind of the discourse and some of the controversy around it. So there's 10 cases in Florida right now, nine of which are tied to um, Broward County, most of which to an elementary school there. Um, and then we've got two cases, in new orleans which are uh, uh, uh two young kids and whose who's family traveled in from that estate and we don't believe that those have spread beyond those that family yet but there's typically a 21-day incubation period uh, or up to so uh, or, or a period at which you can be the propagation can continue so so probably another couple of weeks before we're able to say that definitively but this is in the larger context of a lot of talk about vaccination rates, and um, you know nationally, vaccination against measles has dipped a couple percentage points for the past couple of years. In Louisiana, we've traditionally been a few percentage points above national average. We still exceed national average, but we too have dipped over the past couple of years. And you need somewhere around ninety-five percent vaccination coverage in the population to prevent the occasional case like this from spreading into the larger group. And the reason why is, you know, no vaccine is 100 percent measles vaccine is somewhere around 96 percent, but that's not 100 percent. And on top of that, there are some people that can't get the vaccine at all, like, you know, people undergoing chemotherapy or people that have some immun- immunology conditions. And so you've got to have enough herd immunity to protect those folks. So we're kind of teetering right at that level that you need to prevent larger outbreaks. And I don't know if this one in Florida is going to become larger or not, but, you know, it's not going to be long if this isn't the one until we get that. And to me, this is a real wake-up call that we got to be redoubling our efforts and trying to get some of the politics out of this.
1: Doc, I remember going to grammar school several weeks before school. Uh, starting, going to see my pediatrician, Dr. Jacqueline Winters every year. I remember her name still today. To get the host of <laughs> shots, and you had she had to write on a card, you know, sign her name next to the shot that we got, and there was no going to school if you didn't have
2: that card. Is that not the case yeah. any longer? It's not. You know, I mean, one of the interesting things about Louisiana is for years, we've actually had the broadest vaccine exemption laws in the country. Um, You know, we've got a, a, a school vaccine schedule, but a family can exempt their kid from that vaccine schedule for medical, religious, or just personal reasons, and they don't need a note from their doctor. They don't need it to be notarized or anything to just indicate that. The parent indicates that. And despite those broad exemptions, we've done exceedingly well compared to other states, something that we've really been proud of. Um, we didn't really have a big anti vax contingent. There wasn't a lot of disinformation about it. And I think families, you know, did it because it's what their doctor said, it's what people did. And, and that was that kind of, as you say. Um, so I don't, you know, I don't think the issue, in my opinion, is the laws per se. I, I think it's more of just the discourse around it and, and how we can try and combat some of the, the misinformation that's out there. Um, like I said, we've, We've done very well in Louisiana historically, with also the broadest dental Shemson laws out there. So it's been a formula that's worked for us for a while. But but again, our numbers have slipped the past couple of years.
1: When we talk about the difficulty of getting in to see a physician, a GP or otherwise, um, you know, I remember as a young kid in grammar school, didn't seem to be such a big issue. Mom called on Friday, and we got in on Tuesday. Um, You know, you call call in on Friday, you might get in a
2: month from Friday. You think that's had an impact? I think potentially, and and there was a lot of, you know, that type of stuff around COVID. And, you know, initially in COVID, our numbers slipped because there was just a disruption in people's care. And there were a a few months where, you know, outpatient visits weren't happening. And, And so we know that initially there were kids, for example, that were four or five months behind under schedule just because of the disruption of the pandemic. But, but that that's no longer the issue. I think what we're dealing with now is just this residual damage from how fraught a conversation it was around the COVID vaccine and that, and that wearing off. And, um, you know, there are, you know, big, prominent national anti-vax voices that have only gained in prom- prominence. And I think a lot of families, unfortunately, fall victim to that. To your point, I think the medical community absolutely needs to work on being more patient-centered. And, um, you, know, I think, you know, fortunately, we, <laughs> our pediatrician that we take our kids to is able to see us very, very quick. They always have, and we're very grateful for that, but I know not everyone's so fortunate. Um, there's been, every year, there's been discussion about whether or not we should extend the number of vaccines that pharmacists are able to give in a pharmacy as a point of care, and there's arguments on both sides of that. But at the end of the day, I think we need to be meeting patients and families where they're at. And if it's tough to get into a doc's office, easy to get into a drugstore, and it's a routine vaccine, I don't personally see a problem with that. So I think those conversations have to happen at the end of the day. You know, the medical system for a long time has kind of worked for hospitals and doctors and big organizations. We've got to be thinking of ways to make sure it works for patients and families. You know, Doc, I have a little
1: tick sheet uh of information just that I know is a reminder. And one of the first that I that I uh, drafted um in my conversations with you was a was a debate going on early onset in COVID about vaccines. And I think it I think it, it applies to what we're talking about today, whether it's measles or anything else. And that's the difference between sterilizing immunity and functional immunity.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And, you know, the the smallpox measles vaccine would be an example of functional immunity. And in this country, um, uh, sterilizing immunity means a shot and it, it eliminates it forever, 100% efficacy rate. Um Immunologists uh, early on were saying that they always thought that that was going to be really difficult to uh, achieve, especially in the COVID world. And what's ironic is that all these years later, we're still confused about vaccines and and the role they play. Right?
2: Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, nothing in medicine is a hundred percent, and vaccines are no different. There's a handful of vaccines that will confer protection to the degree that, you know, if you're exposed, you won't get infected at all. And it's that, that high level. Um, but to be honest, the majority of vaccines out there, um, are just unable to confer that degree of protection. But what they do confer is some degree of protection against getting infected, but excellent protection against getting very sick. And oftentimes they need to be boosted. Um, mumps vaccine is a great example. Um, People typically need to be boosted uh, multiple times, uh, particularly during an outbreak. That's how you get through a mumps outbreak to confer protection. Tetanus, um, you know, you receive multiple doses of tetanus vaccine throughout your life, et cetera. Um, And that's just the nature of how things go. And it's it's a nuance that, again, is easily communicated. When the COVID vaccine was first coming out, um, you know, there was a lot of hope that it would confer the type of protection that would just end the pandemic. And, you know, they were talking about late 2020 at this point. We had been in the pandemic for about nine months, something like that. And I hope that too. You know, and at, at that point, ending the pandemic, I think in a lot of our minds meant that the virus teetered out. No one got COVID anymore. And we go back to normal. You know, unfortunately, it wasn't the vaccine didn't prove to do that. The vaccine continues to confer excellent, excellent protection against severe disease and death, as many other vaccines do, but not protection to the point that it guarantees you won't simply get infected or even pass it on to someone. It lowers the chance. This doesn't guarantee that, and so the pandemic didn't end that way. I think now we recognize that the end of the pandemic really meant the end of. Some degree of emergency, you know, the end of overwhelming numbers of people getting sick and dying, the end of hospitals being overrun, the end of a situation that prevented us from living normal lives. Um, that's really what the end of the pandemic has been brought to mean. And so just a different type of protection, different type of reality. Do I wish the COVID vaccine conferred protection to the degree which you won't at all get infected? Of course. Is that the reality? It's just not. And so in medicine, you use the tools you have. And I think that's what the medical community has worked to do. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and, and, and we talked about the misinformation and trying, you know, once that cow's out the barn, it's so hard to put it back in because it's off and running because of the infrastructure mm-hmm. um, uh, that we have and the digital infrastructure that we have in this country. And news moves so fast uh, in the blink of an eye. It's, it's not only across the country, it's around the world. And to dampen that or tamp down on it uh, to get it right is uh, literally impossible. And I think you and I talked about that a lot, and and that came up a lot um, in in the course of this pandemic.
2: Yeah, and you know, the other thing that strikes me is the development and distribution of the COVID vaccine is one of the most tremendous bipartisan achievements that this country has done in recent years, at least in my opinion. It was developed under a Republican administration. It was really uh, you know disseminated in mass to the general public under a democratic administration. It was done in record time. It was done exceedingly well when you consider what the challenges were. And this should be something I think that we universally celebrate. It, it really was a monumental achievement and one that people from all sides of politics I think contributed to.
1: Yeah, but I absolutely got lost in the weeds. I mean, you just lost in the
2: weeds.
1: (laughs) for, For sure. All right, we got to get to a break. We're visiting with Dr. Joe Cantor, the Louisiana State Health Officer. We'll be right back, folks. Stay with us.
0: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on What's in Your Podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive.